Did everybody get tonight's notes, uh, Pastor Melody? The first page. It should say key point summary. So glad you're here. I'm seeing how many times I can drive to this church without using my windshield wipers. So far, so good. <laughs> can you believe that in February? Not even a spray off the road today. It's good. It's good. Um, we're going to take some time to get right into the word here. And uh, how many are here? Anybody here for the first time in this prayer series? Anybody here? Uh, if you are, um, Pastor Melody, do we have any of the overviews, the nine kinds of prayer? I got a couple of those in my... Yeah, yeah, if we could uh, give that to some people to see where we're going. Um, if, I gave you a, if I gave you a hammer, you could build a shed, you know, and I gave you all the materials, all the wood. You could, uh, you could say, well, I want it to be this high, and you could put your feet on the board, and you could measure out how many times when you got to where the first board should be. You could hammer it till it was broken in two, and then you have a board the right length. You could do it, but it'd take a long time. And it wouldn't look that good. It wouldn't be that uh, well put together when you were done, would it? And so you can build with one tool or you can build with a few tools. But the more tools you have in your toolbox, in your toolkit, the easier it's going to be. It's always better when you have the right tools. And I was taking a dishwasher out of my house, the, of the kitchen today. And of course, this is going to be easy. I know how to do this. But wouldn't you know it, I had to do four screws and I needed three different kinds of screwdrivers. And the third one was like, I'd never seen it before. I had to jam in another type and kind of pressure it and turn it because it had some crazy uh, design in there. And I thought, can't, can't we get this together? But you know, you need the right tools at the right time, job's way easier. And uh, we got it out, by the way. And we need to learn the different kinds of prayers for the different uh, occasions. And uh, there's that saying, if you only have a hammer, you treat everything like a nail. And some people, you know, they love the prayer of faith. And so it's always a prayer of faith. And other people, they, they grew up on intercession. And they're always praying, and it sounds like they're just about to cry, but they're always, war you know, showing God how much emotion they have. And they're praying. I'm not making fun of anyone because I put a lot of emotion in my prayer. But we always pray the same way. Pray for the offering. We're like, oh, God, just bless this offering. This, like, it's okay. You know, it's not that bad of an offering. <laughs> but we, we pray the same style. Some of it's just style. Some of it's church tradition. Um, uh, I like to put my heart into it. I love, I like, I like prayers that sound like you mean it. Um, my wife comes from a Lutheran background and, you know, they prayed written prayers. And for years in my Christian life, I thought, what are you doing? Right, praying something somebody's written, that's cheating. Like, just go for it with God, you know. But I've really learned to come to appreciate some of these smooth, polished stones that have been, that have been created over centuries and really can express uh, the aspects of God and it's got to the point where my wife and I, most nights, we have a, a short, just, just takes five minutes, lesson. We, we pray some written prayers that were, that were put together very centuries ago. And I find it calm, comforting, and the right, right prayer to pray when I'm going to sleep at night. And by the way, I hope you do that. I hope the first thing you do in the morning is say, good morning, Lord. 
this is a great day. What have you got for me today? I want to hear from you. And at night it should be, Lord, if there's any way I've sinned that I haven't seen, help me to understand that and close the door on that. And now I, you know, uh, now I go to sleep in your presence. When I was a little kid, we used to do the, now I lay me down to sleep. You know, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. So my, and then God bless, you know, mommy, daddy, brother, sister, dog, cat, goldfish, and then we go to sleep. But there is something comforting in those prayers. But if that's all you got, uh, you need a higher octane there for your tank. And uh, you need to know how to talk to Jesus. And, um, uh, you know, the Lord's Prayer is a, we could do a whole other series on that. Maybe we will. Fantastic form at. It's, a, it's kind of a, uh, a template we start with praying, you know, who God is. And then we say, your will be done. Like, in other words, I'm lining up. And then we start praying, you know, for provision. We start praying uh, for, for relationships. And then we pray for uh, deliverance. So we're taking care of the spiritual stuff. We're taking care of the relational stuff. We're taking care of the physical stuff. When you break it down, it's a really neat format. So praying the Lord's Prayer by word of mouth like we used to do did you know that guys in school we used to pray it at the, the bell would go off and we'd pray that are you old enough to remember those days yeah and uh, uh but we just you know blah 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 pray it and uh, give us this day our jelly bread and whatever else i thought they prayed and then uh that would be the end of it but it was never meant to be uh, a prayer you prayed by rote it was meant to be a template to give you topics and how to follow. And then you put your own words in it. I'm saying all that to say this. Probably the most powerful prayer life is one that has some structure, but then gives you release to have times where you just pray right from your heart. And um, yeah, I think, I think that would be, be uh, something that we might want to do. I, I, for a period in my life, wrote down certain psalms and um, verses. Actually, I still do it. I pray out of the Psalms. It's our prayer book. I mean, can, can you imagine this? The Psalms is really a teenager's prayer journal. Most of the Psalms was a teenager and young man's prayer journal. And he probably thought, well, nobody's ever going to read this, but I'll just write it down anyways. Really? Some dude uh, 3,000 years ago had the worst job in the family because he was the youngest. Some people think King David actually had a different mother than his other brothers and that he was actually outside of the family unit. There's, there's, it's an interesting study that he was really a social misfit and therefore he had to go look after the sheep of his father because that was a servant's job. But there he was in a wealthy family. We know Jesse was fairly wealthy, had lots of uh, livestock, had quite the stock portfolio. And... Uh, and he sent one of his sons out to spend the whole night with the sheep. Well, that's what you did with a servant. And there he is. And the very point of rejection. Here I'm preaching already. We haven't got to it, but it sounds good. He was possibly rejected by his family. At some, like given a secondary status. And he used that to spend time with God. Wrote down his thoughts. And today we call it the Bible. <laughs> today we call it the Psalms. And there's a whole range of emotions in there. And 
I love to pray out of the Psalms. I love Psalm 119. I haven't memorized the whole thing yet. I've tried for years, but I haven't got to 175 verses yet. But the first few verses, you know, blessed are those who walk in your ways, you know, and uh, away you go with that. And there's other Psalms we pray. So I'm just saying that to say this. If you don't know the words, go to the Psalms, pick one, and start owning it. Put your name in there. Instead of blessed is the one who follows the Lord, blessed is Terry because I follow the Lord. You know? Uh, and, and, and start putting yourself in there and, and uh, pray it and you'll find that it, it will guide you into God's presence. But tonight we're in, we're in prayer number uh, type four, binding and loosing. We were here last week and we only got part of the way through it. So I'm going to give you a real quick review and then go through the um, key point summary. So on the one side... When we talk about binding and loosing, we're, we're taking the terms out of two passages from Jesus' discourse to his disciples in the Gospels. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, it's the only time these terms are used in Matthew 16, 19, and 18, 18. You can just follow through in the sheet here because we're just trying to go at, so this is going to be like a video on 1.5 speed, okay, till we get to the bottom. Ever, ever listen to some podcasts or videos? There's so much fluff. You can put it on 1.5 speed and get the whole thing. So we're going to do that right now for a bit. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind in earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose in earth will have been loosed in heaven. So there's this idea of delegated authority. Keys represent the right of access. Delegated authority. And so there is this authority, this kind of mystical idea that, Jesus is back in heaven, but he's left us with some keys. And if we, saw, if we know how to use them, somehow we're going to be uh, binding and loosing. We're going to be bringing the kingdom into situations, and we're going to be breaking off the enemy's power in situations. I really like that idea. I really like the idea that he has given me delegated authority. But back on this idea of authority, I, I'm, I'm not following the notes exactly now. Just, it's so important to understand, authority must be given and can't be taken. It must be given, it can't be taken. So one of the things I do when I go to a new country, or I go to uh, a new church, or I go in a new situation, is I'll say, Lord, what authority are you giving me in this situation? I once was in a church, and don't ask me the name of the church, and uh, it's not this church. And I was once in a church, and I was called to be the pastor there. And I right away saw some pretty serious problems with the way things were being done. And I said to the Lord, Lord, what authority are you giving me here? And he said, don't touch it. Just feed the people. So for a few months, I was just there to feed the flock, love on the people. He was like, you know, there's some good people here. I just want you here. And that was it. And, and David says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, he says. Somewhere in maybe Psalm 16, I can't remember the address. But the idea of being very comfortable that within the boundaries of the word in general, and the word God speaks to your heart specifically for a specific situation, when you learn to know the authority you're being given in a certain situation, then you're comfortable. And inside that, you have full authority. Outside that, you're going to outrun God's grace and probably uh, create some trouble. So some of you are saying, well, how do I know this? Practice. 
Ask the Lord and be comfortable with that. Now, there are certain things that are they're non-negotiable. We, it's always right to pray for healing. It's always right to pray for salvation. It's never wrong to share the word if someone will listen. There's certain things that they're just, you're just supposed to do. But there's other times when, when we're better just not to, uh, to try to change something that we can see. And that's hard. And, um, but there are other times that God's uh, told me, and I, I told you the very first night here, about when a family member tried to commit suicide. And the Lord gave the same scripture to my mother-in-law and, and me, on the same day in different places, and we said, okay, uh, this sickness is not unto death, but in the glory of God. I said, okay, then. I just knew in my spirit uh, that person was supposed to live, and she's alive today and turning her heart to Jesus. And that was 20 years ago. So there are times when we know we have authority in that circumstance. And um, one of the areas that I know that God will give me authority is in the area of finances. Not to become... A billionaire, but just I ab- absolutely have faith that if I'm in God's will, I will have His provision. If God's God's will, God's bill. <laughs> if it's God's will, God's bill, and if I'm not getting provision, then I need to find out He's trying to talk to me. I've either got some sin I need to deal with, some area of incomplete obedience. I'm telling you, it's like clockwork. There's been three times in my ministry that the, the tap has dried up of God's provision. And the, the most recent was almost 10 years ago. And I went to the Lord and faced down and said, God, what is it? And he said this. And I said, okay, Lord, I will change that in my life. And an hour and a half later, the phone started ringing. The email started to come. And we had 19 donations in about 16 days. People call up and says, God's put you on our heart. I'm telling you, I didn't ask one person for anything. God just said, Terry, if you obey me, I'll provide. I'm after your heart. And uh, I'm going to Bangladesh. I want you to pray for me. I'm going to, to Dubai for half a day to visit a church planter who's trying to plant a church amongst uh, expats, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, Indian people who are there working. I'm going to try to help him see what he's doing just for half a day as I go through. Then I'm going to spend three days in Bangladesh talking to people who are reaching Muslims every day with the gospel. And uh, so um, don't put this on Facebook, please. And we tell them about Jesus because they believe Isa, Jesus is Isa, is a prophet. And then we give them the gospels in their vernacular and he shows up. They pray for the sick. Sometimes they're healed. Uh, sometimes they just become followers just by reading the Gospel of John. So we have people working with a million refugees in a refugee camp, uh, two refugee camps in two countries, have people that are uh, uh, doing work to street ministry, uh, women that are, their husbands have left them so they're used goods and nobody wants to go near them or associate with them and they're on the street with their kids. Take them in, give them free sewing lessons for three months, give them a subsidized sewing machine and they start uh, looking after themselves and they say why do you do this and we say because of Jesus and we do this over and over and many many come to the Lord um, so I'm working with the heroes that are in these restricted access nations after I have the meetings in Bangladesh I'll be going to Nepal for a week and uh, teaching at a discipleship school and um, uh, working on some translation projects and meeting with uh, a few people who are trying to go into Bataan, 
Bhutan. And uh, you can pray because uh, a year ago, my partner over there was having open-air meetings. This year, he can't. Uh, somebody stood up in the Nepali uh, parliament and said, we need to get rid of all the Christians. So at the government level, it's starting to shut down. So one of the things we're doing is we have materials on how to stand strong in persecution. They were translated last week. We've been working on this. And I pay for the printing of them, and we'll go, and we're going to put hundreds of these materials, teach pastors. Uh, what does the Bible say? How can you be strong in that time? How can you prepare? And please let us know if you need help. We've helped Christians rebuild their house when they're burned down, things like that. And... Um, through Voice of the Martyrs primarily, but I get, all, I get as many relationships as I can. I sit face to face with these leaders and I tell them, you are not alone. We're on the other side of the world, but you are not alone. And when you're facing tough times, here's how to get us. We have a whole encrypted email system, so we can, we can send pictures and emails and nobody can see it on the internet. So we have all these ways of doing things. But it's amazing in the 21st century, let's use technology for the gospel. It's used for a lot of other things, but let's use it for the gospel. And these people are my brothers. I've been, I've been in touch with Nepal, Bangladesh, Dubai today, and uh, uh, Pakistan is calling. I don't know if I'm supposed to go back. But there's just, these people are sacrificing for the gospel, and I want to help them. I just, I get so inspired being with them. And, um, you know, and, and, and the answers to prayer are just amazing. So let me tell you about one of them. One day, I was teaching my workers in Bangladesh. And uh, what happened was, uh, I had taught for two hours. I was tired. We'd eaten this much rice <laughs> on a plate. <laughs> These guys are 100 pounds, and they can eat you know, more rice than your whole family could eat. And... Uh, and uh, you know, that kind of blood sugar low, it's hot, it's afternoon, you're kind of, ugh, okay. Made it through. I'm trying to tell you, I wasn't feeling the presence of God. And I walk out of the room, we'd rented this room, a safe house, and the Holy Spirit says, ask them if they speak in tongues. I thought, that's strange. So I turned around, through the interpreter, because only one out of seven speaks any English, and through my interpreter, my right-hand guy says, ask them if they have the gift of tongues. I didn't want to say baptism of the Holy Spirit because not everybody's background in theology calls it that. So I just say, you want to be filled with the Spirit, you want to speak in tongues, you want to prophesy. So we bypass all the theological confusion and we just get the Holy Spirit going in their life. Okay, is that okay? <laughs> so uh, I said, ask him. And one guy put up his hand, I don't. I said, well, well, if you're our worker, you ought to be. So I went over to pray for him. Prayed for him for 30 seconds, and he fell backwards onto the bed. We were in this rented house, and in this point, we were in the bedroom praying, big room. And uh, he fell down onto the bed when I prayed for him, kind of in a sitting position. And then he starts speaking in English. He knows no English, not a word. And I pulled out my phone and recorded some of it, and I memorized what he said. Would you like to hear Okay, he said, Ah, Lord God, Lord God's power, Lord God's power on my heart and on my hands, on my heart and on my hands. 
Every time I talk to you, you always listen. Every time I pray to you, you always answer. Lord God's power, Holy Spirit power. Isn't that beautiful? Afterwards, I mean, I'm still in relationship with him. That was 2016. He still gets embarrassed every time I tell him because he's never spoken English again. And he feels somehow he's failing me. And I'm like, no, 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 that was Holy Spirit. But I've never forgotten it. I've memorized it. Because just like the day of Pentecost, they spoke in tongues. But they started to preach the gospel in other languages so that people who came knew what was going on. Prayer tongues can be for your own prayer life, but it can also be a message to others. It has two main purposes. And I'll never forget that moment looking at him and saying, I have never felt so loved and hugged by my Heavenly Father in, in these uh, days. And you know why? It came because at that time, ISIS sympathizers had hit the country and were starting to kill people. And I said to the Lord earlier that trip, I said, Lord, am I sending these guys to their death? I tell them, go out and evangelize. Then I jump on a plane and come back to Canada. Like, am I, am I allowed to do this? Like, am I, am I, am I being unreasonable? And you know, I ha there has been one of my friends martyred in that country, even though the gospel's allowed. So this was the Lord's answer. The Lord's answer was, I'm listening to every prayer you pray. And my spirit's on your hands, in your heart. You've got my permission to lay your hands on people. You've got resident power so that when you pray for people, something's going to happen. And I mean, I have never forgotten that, and I have pulled on that many times. And, and we see God move. And I felt I wanted to share that tonight, just to encourage you, that every time you pray, something happens. So tell somebody beside you, every time you pray, something happens. Tell somebody, they need to hear it. Yes, you. Every time you pray, something happens. You don't always see it. So, I'm trying to get you ready to hear my teaching on binding and loosing because it's about authority. Prayer, prayer, in prayer, you use the keys. And you, you don't use keys like a, a mini tambourine or just to jangle in your pocket. They're there to open and close things. They're there to keep things safe. They're there to create access. They're... They're there. The guy that has the keys, the, the gal that has the keys, has power in the place, right? Because they, they, they give permission for, for right of entry. And you and I have the keys of the kingdom. Now, in one case, this is talked about in terms of forgiveness. And so, if you choose to forgive, you're opening heaven over somebody's life. If you choose to stay in resentment or forgive, you are shutting down the access to that person's heart and your heart especially. You are impacting heaven's activity in your life and those whom you have spiritual authority when you choose to not forgive. Jesus made it clear this is so, so important to forgive. And the other way we can use them is in, um, uh, uh, I will say, 
separating ourselves from the enemy's attachments and and attaching ourselves to God's purposes. You don't have to use the words bind and loose to bind and loose. The binding and loosing happens as you pray will of God prayers with authority. So you don't have to go, I bind you in the name of Jesus or I loose you in the name. You don't have to say it that way. It's just something that happens in the spirit when you're praying right. There are people I know that will say, I bind my will to the will of God. That's beautiful. If you want to say that, that's great. And look at those sample usages in the Old and New Testament. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 8. Uh, it's just such a beautiful passage. Such a beautiful passage. If you want to get a tattoo, tattoo this on yourself. Because it, it talks about binding the word of God to your body. So just, you want to do that, put a tattoo there, okay? Just don't put it on your forehead. Okay, we want to see your pretty face. But in Deuteronomy, chapter 6, it says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. So let's go down to verse 6. He says, These commands I give you are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. When we got saved in the Jesus People movement, we I I wore a button, right? Wait, you know, we used to have buttons you just wear as a fashion statement. Anyways, I had one that said, under new management, thanks to Jesus. And I would just wear that button everywhere I went and let people deal with it. Like, you know, deal with it if you don't like it. And, uh, or ask me about it if you dare. And then we had bumper stickers, you know, honk if you love Jesus and all those things. And, uh, uh, but we were into, you know, the symbols and, and, uh, you know, making known that we were the Lord's. But this is a good thing. Put the scriptures on the wall at home. Put something out in front of your door that says, you know, God so loved the world. And it says, tie them on your hands. I actually, if somebody wants to get a tattoo of a scripture on their body, go for it. You know, do it in an appropriate way. But it's okay with me. I know some people feel that's very wrong. But I, I mean, with all the stuff that's going on out there, if you want the word of God that close to you, um, I, I blessed you. I, I don't have one of those, uh, but you're welcome to if you like to. And uh, But, you know, the Jews, they used to, when they pray, they had these little boxes on their forehead that had some of the laws. Have you seen it? They actually had a box there tied to their forehead, and then they, they have to wrap this leather thing around their, their arm before they pray. And this idea it comes right from Deuteronomy. Bind yourself to the laws and the will of God. One guy was doing this on a plane in the U.S. Do you remember this? About three or four years ago after, after we'd had a lot of uh, problems in planes. One guy was winding this around, putting this on, and a stewardess freaked out. She had no idea, knew nothing about the Jewish law, and thought this guy was a terrorist getting ready to blow something up. He was going to blow himself up and take everybody. And the whole plane had to stop. They call in the authorities. This guy's just, I'm just praying. <laughs> 
but binding ourselves to God's purposes. Um, you know, the symbols are, are beautiful, but it's the action that's important. And so Deuteronomy 6, it says, bind these things to your mind. Proverbs 3 says the same thing. Bind them, uh, you know, write them on the tablet of your heart. Bind them to, to, your, to your body, to yourself. All those Proverbs say, uh, say that. Isaiah then uses this in a different way. He says, loose the bonds of wickedness. Untie the cords of the enemy and the yoke. So in some cases, we're tied to these things. And the symbol, I want to say, is useful because you are not the thing you're tied to. The devil wants you to think that that's you. Oh, you are an alcoholic. Oh, you are, you're just a, you know, pornography or whatever it is. That's you. No, you're tied to something. And if you're tied to something, you can be untied. And, and that's where binding and loosing comes in. And so, what is tying me? What is binding me? What it is, it's an agreement with a lie. It's an agreement with an unholy thought, an unholy belief. That's the way I'll always be. My dad was an alcoholic. My grandfather's an alcoholic. And I'll be that. And uh, no, you don't have to be that. Because you can be free. That was deserving of an, a, of an amen. So, every one of us have some ungodly strongholds that require dismantling. Every one of us. And so, the idea of uh, that protected dwelling place we talked about last week. We don't have time to go through that again. So, key points on the other side of the page. The keys of the kingdom represent delegated authority. They've been given to every believer. That means you. Turn to somebody and say, you have a set of keys. Okay, we're not talking about the Beamer that you want to drive, okay. BMW stands for bring my wallet, okay. Uh, the keys provide access to the spiritual realm for people. And their usage is to bind, lock, or loose open in order to allow or disallow entry to and from the spiritual realm. So when Jesus says will have been bound, some people say, well, now you've got the word. Just whatever you want, claim it. And uh, when I was a young Christian, there really became a, a word faith movement of uh, what we now have termed the prosperity gospel. But people, um, I'm claiming a Cadillac in Jesus' name. You know, I'm claiming it. Uh, it's mine. I've heard uh, someone use that thing of whoever gives up uh, anything for the Lord will have houses and wealth or whatever. And it was, a, it was actually a traveling... Preachers like I claim those houses and I claim I'm thinking I, I, I think that's not what Jesus meant okay I believe in prosperity by the way and I don't think being poor is more holy than being wealthy like if I'm going to be depressed I'd rather be depressed on my yacht than standing at a bus stop in the rain <laughs> but I'd rather have the joy of the Lord than either of those so to me, the wealth on the outside is not the issue. And I know the more things we have, the more things can own me. Eh, I know some people that don't have much money but are obsessed with money. They're obsessed with having more. So as soon as you're obsessed with having more than you have, money has you. So it's not about having things. 
It's not about forcing our will. It's about discerning what God is saying in this situation and then using the key. So the Lord says, I want to do that. You open that door. You make it happen. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a key opening prayer. Or a door opening prayer using the key. When you say, you know, your will be done. And I like it when people pray. I Personally, I really like it when people pray, Lord, there's no cancer in heaven. And so we just pray right now that just the way it is in heaven will come into my sister's life or whatever. I, I believe in that kind of praying. And that's, uh, and, and if we, Catherine Coleman, greatest healing ministry of the 20th century, she said she had two questions for God when she gets to heaven. She's asked them by now. I wish she'd email me the answer. But, uh, she said, why do people fall down when I pray, and why isn't everybody healed? So if the greatest healing ministry in the 20th century has those questions, I'm okay to have them too. But I know how many people should get healed in the service. I know more. <laughs> more than we're seeing now. I know it's God's will for more to get healed. And so I'm aligning myself with God's will. Until we see a breakout of the power of God. Okay, I'm preaching myself happy, but let's keep going here. They're operated by the words of our mouth as we confess God's will. Repentance and forgiveness are the two master keys. Do you know what a master key is? Okay, so my dad was a locksmith in his young days. So what happens is, you know, the keys have all these like up and down. So the key, you turn it, there's a cylinder, and there's all these little... Um, cylindric wafers and they're all different lengths and when the key is like this all the different lengths match so that at the top it's even and then it can turn so you actually have to key the lock by putting in the same length of little um, uh, cylinder that the key divot is so you line it all up but then you can key it so that uh, uh, no matter, you key it so that there's all different key forms for this building, but there's also a, a, a set of numbers that works on any of them. And so the master key is when it's been pre-designed to work with any other key. And then you have to have two of those cylinders. So one of them is unique to the key and the other's the same as all the rest. It's a really ingenious thing. Forgiveness is the master key that can open any of the other doors. It, it, it opens up heaven whenever there's love and forgiveness. When someone, even if they don't know the Lord, starts operating in forgiveness, the kingdom of heaven is really close. The kingdom of heaven is ready to come into that person's life. The kingdom of heaven is present when people forgive. may not be living in you born again, but the kingdom is present. And by forgiving and repenting, we're literally bringing heaven down to earth. Isn't that amazing? And so, as soon as I hear people say, well, I, I, I can forgive, but I'll never forget. Oh, okay. You just open the door and shut it again. <laughs> Still locked. And if you're there, it's okay to be there, but it's not okay to stay there. Another time we'll talk about the process of forgiveness. It starts with a choice and then it moves towards your emotions. So the, we must be ready to give and receive forgiveness. 
Where can I use these keys? You start with yourself and then your circle of touch, your influence. And that's why I did circles there. So I hope you go home tonight and you say, Lord, I agree with Terry that I have more authority than I've been using. And Lord, if I've been shutting the doors because of unforgiveness, just teach me how to forgive. I choose, I want to forgive. Teach me how. Take me there. And watch doors open in your life. Watch God's provision start to come. And then start asking the Lord, what authority are you giving me in this situation? What, what are you permitting me to say or to do? And um, he will tell you. Um, I just, I love this because one of the things I do know is I have authority over demons. Maybe not territorial spirits, but if there's a person that has a demonic stronghold, it cannot hurt me. And it's going to be afraid of who's in me. And three or four times in my ministry, I've had direct confrontations with demonic manifestations. And every time, under my breath, I go, you know that I know. I don't know your name, but you know that I know. And you have to listen to me. It's going to happen. And it does. And uh, we have authority. We don't have to be afraid. I don't go looking for that. I don't go power tripping on that. But when it comes my way, I know. I know that demons that are inhabiting people or whatever don't have authority over me. There's a, a missionary friend of mine who lived in a place of high demon authority in, in Southeast Asia. And they said, we knew it because we went to a new town and we're walking down and some guy comes running up and starts going, why are you here, Jesus? <laughs> and they said, the demonic and people started all getting agitated and, and, and screaming at them. And so they, they knew. Um, uh, and they had great effect in that, in that uh, town. I hope I'm not freaking you out. I'm just saying that when this happens, you're, this, this happened to friends of ours, young couple in their 20s went to Southeast Asia and they were Christians and, and these people in these uh, practices were, were saying every year on this date it rains at 2 p.m. This is a certain date for these, these type of monks and then they come out after this time it happens every time they come out and they stick these pointed sticks through their cheeks. There's, a, there's a, some place on the internet you can watch this and they stick it through and it doesn't bleed. And they walk around with these, this, these things piercing their body and they put them up on chairs and carry them around so they have these miracles, which are, of course, demonic manifestations. So they wanted to prove Christianity isn't true, but theirs was. They said, come to this place on this date. So they got prayed up, had some people prayed, and they went there. It didn't rain. And the guys were trying to do this and they started bleeding and it was the first time it never happened. And the guy's like, it always happens, it always happens. And they knew that the Spirit of God in them was messing up the demonic party. And it was stronger. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Now, so for me, there's no question. It's open and shut. I have the keys. If something's truly demonic, I, haven't, I, I, I don't like it. I don't want to have to deal with it, but I do when I have to. I've said all that to say this. 
What's more trouble is the stuff in our soul. Because if you won't forgive or you won't let the Lord renew your mind, I can't touch it. Jesus couldn't touch it when the Pharisees were so locked into their tradition. Jesus couldn't help them. And so you and I need to pay attention to our soul. And uh, we need to say, Lord, where is it that I'm still kind of tied to something? I want to be loosed. One time a while ago, I had a dream. And I was um, driving a car, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and there was the house trailer that my dad used to own. It was an old Rambler house trailer, a 19-foot or whatever, and, uh, you know, that was a holiday back then. Pull a trailer around and stop somewhere where in, a, in, a, in a park or on the side of a road and put out the jacks and get inside, and, you know, we all lived in that little trailer for a few weeks at a time going here and there. As a teenager, it wasn't always my most fun thing to do, I have to tell you. But that's what vacations were. And one night I had a dream, and I saw the trailer. And I pulled away from a stoplight, and it didn't go with me. And I went, oh, the car is easier to handle. It's lighter. Oh, this is the way this car is supposed to drive. This is easy. And then I woke up. Have you got the interpretation already? The Lord said, are you ready to, to let me unhitch you from your past? Like completely. I'd been growing over years, but it was just like the Lord saying, you know, it's time, Terry, to be completely unhitched from all that stuff. That trailer represents a lot of worldly memories and activity. Big parties in Kilbear Park and all the rest. And... I'm telling you, I've never forgot that dream. And that's what I'm talking about, to be loosed, to be untied, to be unhitched from the beliefs of your past and to say, in Jesus' name, I separate myself from that. How are we doing? We okay? Okay. So I know this isn't a normal prayer teaching, and I know we're not going like step by step through a bunch of uh, scriptures in that way, but we are really. I'm pulling it together into a theme. So here is the notes I want you to have now. So can I get two volunteers or just to scoot around to uh, these break the harmful vows? Okay, thanks. Um, so I want to hit one aspect of this tonight, just one aspect, and the idea of a vow where it comes to the keys of the kingdom. So, vows are like valves. They are a function of your soul. And you know there's a scripture that says, the, the, let's go there in Hebrews. Who knows where that is? Uh, what chapter it is? I know, but I'm just testing you. Where is that scripture about that the word of God sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing joints and marrow, discerning thoughts and intention of the heart, soul, and spirit. Where is it? Hebrews 4.12. we got some Bible scholars in our midst. Watch out. Hebrews 4.12. This is such a precise picture. 
Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. This is like the only place in the New Testament where soul and spirit is really well defined as being separate. Uh, there's a few times that Jesus will say them in different ways, but this, this is the key passage. Thank you for helping me there. Um, dividing of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. And it says, we're all laid bare in front of him. So, I hear some people, and I've heard this from the pulpit, I've seen it in services, you know, people feel rejected. You know, someone will get up accurately and say, I just have a word from the Lord there. There's people here that are like feeling rejected. And then they go into a prayer. We just come against that spirit of rejection. We come against him. We bind it and we rebuke it and put up your hands and... And I'm just like, hold, 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 hold on again. Hold on a second here. Yes, there can be a spirit using it, but at the this is a soul thing. We need to divide soul and spirit. If I'm feeling rejected, it's because I'm believing a lie. That's a function of my soul. So maybe when I was very young, my mother told me, like a friend of mine, oh, I had to marry your father because you came along. Well, they're sowing rejection. They're sowing belief that you're not worthy. You're an accident. So the eligibility to feel rejected has been sown in through terrible words and lies and lack of love. So what happens is I get a belief system that gets embedded in there. And then when somebody forgets to shake my hand on Sunday or is having a bad day and they scowl at me, but it's because their stomach's upset, all of a sudden... I interpret it. Oh, look, they're rejecting me. I thought this church was a loving church. Oh, nobody said hello to me this morning. I had a secretary like that one church I was at. I couldn't believe it. I, she took me to task. Not here, okay. <laughs> took me to task one Tuesday. And I said, what, what, what's happening here? She goes, you didn't shake my hand on Sunday. I said, we're here three days a week. And this was someone I had to pray for for 10 minutes every day just so they could get through the day. I'm like, I'll give you a half an hour every week and I didn't shake your hand and you're mad at me? Like, I'm sorry, but this is your issue. <laughs> this is not my behavior. And, you know, I tried to deal with it. And, and so we had this outcome. She left the church because the pastor didn't shake her hand, so he's not a nice guy. Um, I feel sorry for her, but I'm not going to take that on. That's, that's not my issue. But what I'm saying was, did I need to rebuke a spirit? Well, I might have to, you know, bind the spirits, the lying spirits, deaf and dumb in that moment, so she couldn't hear from them. But then I have to deal with her soul. So when we talk about binding and loosing prayers, we're not just fighting spirits. We are speaking truth to the parts of our lives that are still under the power of the enemy. And every one of us has areas of our heart that still haven't been captivated by the love of God. He is still evangelizing parts of our heart and our soul. And so we bring ourselves into submission. So don't do the prayer. Look at the example of harmful vows. But first, vows are like valves. They are a, a, an attempt by my will to heal myself, to block out further pain. So we bought a house that was nearly new 20 years ago, 
and I was tired of fixing up our other house just to keep it looking ugly. And I said, I would like a house that looks nice when I can repair it. And so we got into another house, and I'm there thinking, ah, I won't have repairs now. It's only three years old. Well, guess what? Sometimes new houses aren't built as well as the old house. They might look better, but they're not necessarily built better. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So two months later, there's a, a leak in the, in the basement, like coming through the uh, drop ceiling. And my wife is Mr. Bone. That's when I, she needs something done on Mr. Bone. Mr. Bone, there's a problem in the basement there you need to fix. So I go down. I pull out the little drop ceiling thing, and guess what? There's a water shutoff valve right near there. And I thought, okay. Just turned it off, put the thing back in, came up five minutes later. I said, there's no more leak. She's like, I'm impressed. You fixed it? I said, there's no more leak. See, I didn't say I fixed it, did I? I said, there's no more leak. What had I done? Well, one of the three bathrooms didn't have any water anymore. But there's no more leak. You said stop the leak. I did. But we do this with our own soul. Oh, let's just say, um, let's pick something. Uh, pastors are going to hurt you. They're going to disappoint you. So, ever talk to a pastor again? So I go to church. I'm having fellowship with other people. I won't talk to the pastor, because the last two pastors, they, they hurt me. So what I've done is I've made a vow. I won't go there again. I've shut off that part of the flow of God's Spirit to that part of my soul so that I won't be hurt again. I won't have a leak. I've fixed the leak, but I've disabled part of my own soul. And the same vow that shuts out the hurt keeps out the love. And we become very lonely. And there's, there's a root of addictive behavior. Then we turn to other things to try to give us dopamine and serotonin hits to overcome this hole in our life. And I know about emotional holes. I know about that. That's my background. And it led to a lot of addictive behavior. Listen, by the time I was 14, I was doing an array of drugs and alcohol and living a double life. And I, had, I really had no idea. I thought I was just having fun. But the drivenness that I had was a big, big hole. And for a while it worked because nobody knew. I, I said, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and kept my school grades up. But it'll catch up to you. But Jesus caught up first, however, got radically saved. Glad for that. So I was at a counselor um, in the early 90s. I was already a pastor, and I was hitting the wall in a couple areas. So I went to a counselor, spirit-filled counselor. I was told, won't, won't counsel you away from the Bible. Loves Jesus, and we'll pray with you. So I went there. And I'd only been there twice, and she said, you have a vow. I said, what do you mean? And she said... I think you've said something like this to your life. I said, yeah, actually, you're right. I said, I'll never again. And she said, you have, to, you have to get rid of that. I said, well, actually, first I said, I don't believe in vows. That's what I said. You know, I'm saved. I'm filled with the Spirit. And she says, well, you don't? Well, have you ever said this? Yeah. Have you ever felt this way? Yeah. Well, that's a vow. Oh, really? 
She says, so what you need to do is simply recognize it, confess it, renounce it, place the cross there, and ask Jesus to separate you from that. Break your agreement with that lie. Because what you've done is you've embraced it. You're tied to it. You're bound. See? Whatever you've bound on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed. So we pray prayers such as, on the back there, Lord, and I'm going to make one up here, okay? You know, I renounce, I renounce this vow of I'll never trust a pastor again. I recognize that this was an attempt to heal myself, and it's a, and it's a lie. I release my soul, my spirit, soul, and body to no longer remember it or be under the power of I speak to my own soul. You're free. I loose you in Jesus' name. You're no longer required to feel, think, and act according to this vow. Uh, if you're with somebody, it works well when you're with somebody. They pronounce forgiveness. And then you pray the opposite spirit. I thank you, Lord, for godly authority. I thank you that you put people in my life who they're flawed and they sin, but they're still your, your people. I thank you that I'm protected because I have godly. You, you, you pray in the opposite spirit. It doesn't all necessarily happen in one session. Sometimes it takes a while to untangle. But what to realize that some things that you have let the enemy tell you, that's just the way I am. I just speak my mind. Right, you blurt your feelings in the name of truth. But your feelings are really raw, and you need some healing. <laughs> so don't say that's just the way I am. Or I'm quiet, I, I can't share my faith. Don't say that's just the way you are. There's something in there that makes you afraid. You don't have to be a loud mouth, but there's something in there making you afraid to tell of the hope that's within you. And just know that you can loose these cords. You can, and as soon as you forgive those who maybe got you to this place, forgive yourself. That's the master key starts opening the door. Heaven starts to open over your life. And you'll find that you change, the change is the result. Now I hope I'm making sense. I'm going to wrap it up right now. I see the magic number. See the magic number there? Oh, it just changed. It was 8.15. I'm always shooting for 8.15. I'm on overtime. You have to pay me overtime now. And uh, what happens is we're trying to change the behavior and we're just energy drain because underneath we have a different belief. But when we deal with the belief that's driving the behavior... We go and find out that maybe I've made a vow. And we say, I don't need to be under the power of that. I don't have to believe that. In the name of Jesus, I, I separate myself from that belief. I don't agree with it anymore. I'm in disagreement with that. And uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a great prayer. And when somebody tries to put something on you, you know, I'm sorry about that, but I don't receive that in Jesus' name. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't receive that. That's not what I believe about myself or about you or about this situation. Ask freedom. You do it without anger. You do it without boastfulness or pride. You just say, I'm standing my ground. And I love this. This is just a picture. I place the cross between me and that belief. 
I place the cross between me and that place. I have a generational pattern in my family of certain addictions. And I have gone through and named the people and said, I place the cross there. I do not need to be like so and so and so. I thank you, Jesus, that I'm grafted in to the DNA. And we, we, we bind and loose. And I had one relative. I have, like both sets of grandparents had six or seven kids on both sides. Like there's just a massive number of them. And I know of one that was born again. And I'm just like, I thank you, Lord, for the blessing coming through my family line. Because Annie Marge believed in you and she prayed for me. In Jesus' name, I received that. And just bring me every blessing that's been on my family line. And I pray that it'll just drop on me and on my children. Amen? We bind ourselves to your purpose for every generation. And we just, we just break off every ungodly belief. Like, I'm not saying these are magic wand prayers. But they are will of God prayers. And we begin to... So I'm saying when it comes to the enemy, bam, breakthrough. But when it comes to our soul, a little more work. A little more understanding. A little more patience. And always... Where have I been injured or where have I injured someone else? And to give and receive forgiveness opens the kingdom. So example of harmful vows are I'll never let anyone love me. I'll never be weak. I'll never trust anyone. I'll never allow myself to need. I want you to go through those and um, just look at them. And uh, I'm going to try to wrap this up in another five minutes here, okay? Um, Just look at those for a moment. And if any of them strike a chord in your heart, yes, make a little X beside it or subtly make a mark so that others aren't... And don't look over your shoulder at someone else. Oh, wow, look, she's checking every one of those. Okay, let this be about you for a moment. Just look at those. If anything comes to mind as you're doing that, we're just going to ask Jesus to start taking care of this. Thank you, Lord. And it's quite likely one of those may twig something else in your mind that's not written down there. This is just a little random sample. But look for the thing that you've said, I will never or I will always. Oh, those ultimate statements. You are taking that tap and you're turning it off. Nobody's ever going to do that to me again. And we're going to have some freedom tonight. So here's the bold thing. If you say there's anything in there that strikes a chord, yeah, I think I've done that. I'm feeling I've done it, but I'm not sure what the vow is. Or, yeah, I know, I, I, I've heard myself say such and such over and over. You're not going to have to confess it to anyone tonight. I'm not going to try to go there. But I'm going to ask you to be bold, be humble, and stand up. You say, Terry, I definitely think I've been under the power of some sort of vow in my life. Negative vow. If that's you, just stand up. and We're going to break our agreement. And we're going to speak freedom over your life. Don't be shy. Now is your moment. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord.
Let's do business with God. We're not here to play church. I'm not expecting everybody to stand, but for some of you, this is going to make sense tonight. So, Father in heaven, I thank you that you are loosing the cords that have bound us tonight. That heaven is going to invade our souls. And right now, I want you to pray this prayer. I renounce the vow of, and then just whisper what it might be. Pray after me. By the power and authority of Jesus, I break this vow. I separate myself from this belief. And I ask that I would no longer remember it over time. I declare that my soul is free from it. I'm no longer required to believe it, to feel it, or to think and act according to that belief. I place the cross between me and that belief, that vow. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we also choose to forgive those who have caused us pain that led us to try to remove the pain or heal the pain through our own efforts. We forgive them. We choose to start the process of forgiveness. Come, Holy Spirit. Release us now. Presence of God, come now. Presence of God, come now. Fill and fill. Fill. Turn the tap on again, Lord. like sometimes we feel that cool drink going down into our esophagus after a long time of no nourishment we can actually feel it going in on the inside let us feel your presence Lord Spirit of God I love you you always lead me to Jesus you always reveal the Father's will I can trust you because you are the representative of my dear Father and my big brother, Jesus, my Savior. Come now. Spirit of God, fill, fill, fill your children, fill your people. Set us free. I break the power of this agreement. We cut those cords. We untie them. We loose them. They're just a pile of threads and string on the ground and we breathe in the spirit of God thank you in Jesus name amen now what I'd like you to do let's everybody stand what I'd like you to do